welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. Lord, may we truly rejoice and know the amazing blessing that it is to be able to proclaim that you are our King. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So today, we celebrate and enact a very pivotal event in all of human history. The triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday because in St. John's Gospel, he notes that the branches that they had picked and laid and were waving were branches of the palm tree. And this event, this, this historic account, is so incredibly rich. I mean, it's, it, there's so much wrapped within this, this one event that we need numerous sermons to try to touch on all of it, which is actually quite a good thing because, God willing, I will be preaching on this event once a year um, for multiple years. So good thing that there are a lot of sermons that can come out of this event. But today, I just want to focus on, on a few particular things and and laying emphasis on what this reveals about Jesus' kingship and his unorthodox path to victory. Before we jump in, just to set the stage of what is happening here, we have Jesus walking up the mountain from the valley with his disciples, and, and not just the, the apostles, but, but a multitude that had begun following Jesus were, were marching up heading to Jerusalem to celebrate the most holy of feast days, the Passover feast. Which interestingly, the celebration of the Passover feast was a remembering of God's great deliverance of his people from the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. And as they are entering into Jerusalem, we know that Jerusalem was, 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 was a buzz at the moment. In that time period, the, the, the people of Israel, many of them had a heightened anticipation that, that in their lifetime, that God was going to fulfill the ancient promise, that he was going to send them a Messiah king and do another deliverance like he did during the Exodus, delivering them from the bondage of foreign occupation establishing his kingdom. And so it's in the midst of this backdrop of, of, of the Passover feast, remembering the deliverance that God had done, that the people have this kind of heightened anticipation of what God might do. And this anticipation reaches almost a, a fervor pitch because word had been spreading about this Jesus of Nazareth what he had been doing and teaching 
making a stir within all of Israel. And we know from St. John's Gospel that, that, that the word had begin, begun spreading all throughout Israel that this Jesus of Nazareth had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so we have this depiction of almost frenzied, disorganized, impromptu celebration of the masses. St. Matthew, in his account, notes that the whole city was in turmoil. So what we have are are, our commoners. We We have Jesus with his ragtag group of misfits following after him and, and, and the commoners, the, the, those who, who were peasants and those who were, were the low class, the nobodies, who were hanging out around the outside gates, all come rushing to celebrate and praise the coming of Jesus. But we also know that others, the elites, the religious leaders, they were kind of standoffish and were dismayed because of the chaos that was around. But what's interesting as you dive into this passage, especially piecing together the event by the, by the different inclusions that we have from all the different gospel writers, is that this, what Jesus had done was not just simply finding a simple means of entrance. He didn't get a donkey because he didn't feel like climbing the hill to Jerusalem. And the frenzied emotion and praise and impromptu celebration was, was not completely as spontaneous and unexpected. But in many ways, all of this was intentionally crafted by Jesus to make a statement to the people, to make a statement to power about who he really was and what he came to do. So first, I want to make a note about the claim of Jesus' kingship. If you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that up until this point, after Jesus would heal someone or perform a miracle, or when someone would acknowledge Him as, as the Messiah and King, He would silence them. I mean, even, even there's moments where demons would acknowledge who He was and He would tell them to shut up, but He would, he would tell those who, whom He healed and revealed who he is, he would tell them to go and tell no one. And he would do that because he knew what that would lead to. The revelation of who he was as the Messiah King of Israel was a great threat to those who were in power at the time. And if he was revealed as who he was, he knew that that would then lead to his death. And his time had not yet come. But on this particular Passover, as he entered in, he received a pretty shocking and and public acclaim, one that came from the masses. In St. Matthew's Gospel, he says that in the cacophony of voices that were crying out, the people were saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. St. Mark includes this acclaim where the people were also yelling, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. All of this language that the people were crying out is all language that was attributed to the promised Messiah. And so with the words that the people were proclaiming, 
They were attributing to Christ to be the promised one. The one that was to be greater than Moses. The triumphal king in the line of David, sent from God himself to liberate God's people. The one who was going to establish the kingdom of God forever and rule over it. It's a very bold and blatant claim. And this time was different. Jesus didn't tell them to keep quiet. He accepted it. In verse 39 through 40 of, of Luke's gospel reading, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The anger and fury that Jesus knew that the acknowledgement of who he really was would bring about was starting to happen. And yet this time, he refused to silence the people. And he actually doubled down. Telling them, even if you would silence these people, the creation, that which he himself had formed, cannot keep silent about who he really is. But I want to note something here, is that the Pharisees weren't necessarily completely off base. Because the reality is, is that, that if Jesus was not who these people were claiming him to be, if Jesus was not who he himself claimed to be, then he should be expected to rebuke these ignorant commoners that were wrongly praising him. And I just want to tell you, I mean, it might sound harsh and you might think that I'm leading the church with an iron fist, but I, I can tell you that um, if any of y'all come walking into the church and you got like an entourage with you and they're praising you as Messiah, I'm going to go up to you and I'm going to tell them you better correct them. And if you don't, I'm going to kick you out of the church. And you're not welcome to come back. I don't, I, I don't want to crush anybody's aspirations. but No, actually I do. Like, if you were aspiring to do that, y'all could just leave now. Like, I, they, because the thing is, is that either Jesus was who he claimed to be, the, the, the claim that he received, either he, he was that very thing, or he deserved every little bit of what was going to happen five days later. And as a little aside note, this is an important reminder to us that Christ's claim of kingship and lordship is absolute and it's exclusive. That either we fall down at his feet, that we wave our palm branches and lay our cloaks before him, crying out to him as Lord and King, or we should rightfully join our voices with those who on Good Friday cried out, crucify and crucify. But the fact is, is that there is no in-between. But as we go in the story, we see that Jesus, knowing the consequences of accepting the crowd's acclaim, he boldly acknowledged that he was who they claimed to be. Because he knew 
Even though he knew that that was going to lead to his death, he also knew what his ultimate mission was. Which leads into the second point. How this reveals Jesus' unorthodox path to victory. The backdrop of all of this was actually just a reflection of a common first century victory parade. Something that would commonly occur when either someone who was victorious and conquering and was to be coronated as king would enter into his city or whenever a general after a great victory would come back that the people would come out and meet them and usher them back into the city waving palms, crying out in praise. In many ways it was kind of like the old school ticker tape parade. But instead of confetti... You had palm branches. And so what we have is the people filled with great hope, great expectation, following the traditions of their day, which signaled that they were saying, this is our king, and he will be victorious. And as they did so, They cried out, Hosanna. It's important to note that Hosanna was not like an acclamation of praise. Like Hosanna wasn't like, yay, Jesus, hurrah for him. Hosanna is just the Greek attempt to transliterate Hosanna. Hosanna means deliver us. Save us. This was a passionate plea of an oppressed people. Remember, these were mainly the outcasts of society, the lowly, and they were crying out in their despair, deliver us, O son of David. Deliver us from the most high heavens of heavens. Crying out. Crying out to their hoped-for king for deliverance. But in this, there was something very odd about all of it. Normally, whenever a a king or a conquering general would enter into the city and receive the celebration of the people in the palms, they'd be riding in on a war horse, a great steed. They'd be surrounded by nobility and generals and top-ranking military, showing their greatness and their power and their might. But we have in this account that Jesus is riding an unbroken donkey. Surrounded by a ragtag crowd of misfits, peasants, outcasts, and losers. And if you think about the imagery, it's actually a little bit humorous. Because you have all these people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, deliver us. This is our king. This is the promised one of the most high God. This is the one who is going to defeat the greatest empire the world has ever seen. And as they are crying that out, you have Jesus and some fishermen, a few prostitutes, a couple of outcasts, a few that are known as demoniacs, from their past, with mental illness and everything else, all following Jesus as he's riding a donkey. And they emphasize, interestingly, in the gospel accounts that this donkey had never been ridden. I mean, he couldn't even get a good donkey. 
that had at least been kind of broken and trained well. So I, I mean, I don't know, but I can picture in my mind, I mean, if you've got this little donkey that doesn't even, has never had anybody on his back, so he's riding in on a donkey, which is humiliating as it is, and it's probably like kind of like bucking and stumbling around because like this isn't even a good donkey yet. I love how Stanley Hauerwas, he's uh, an influential theologian and ethicist from Duke Divinity School. He, he says that he believes that Jesus and what he was doing was enacting a satire or parody of a triumphal entry. Parodying man's approach to power and greatness. Making a mockery of our common disposition to run after the strong man. The pompous one with his greatness and parades. See, because Jesus was coming to be victorious, bringing deliverance, establishing his rule, but it was not through military might and a show of strength. But it was going to be through humility and humiliation. And there is an odd amount of ink that is used in the gospel accounts to focus on this donkey. Or donkeys. I know there's debate and confusion about that. I, I don't care. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. But there's a lot of emphasis on this donkey, and I think because this donkey carries great significance as a symbol and also as a tie of Jesus's mission to a very important prophecy. See, the donkey, the donkey is a lowly beast of burden, not used for battle or war, not used for nobility but used for the most humiliating and lowest of work. And by Jesus coming in on the donkey, it's symbolizing that he is bringing deliverance, but not through military might, which is symbolized by a great steed, a war horse. But instead, in humility, using a beast of burden... Showing that what was before him was not a military victory, but brutal, brutal, humiliating work. He was riding a beast of burden as he prepared to carry the burden of the cross. And this riding of the donkey connects Jesus to the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea from the river to the ends of the earth. 
So it's pointing out and revealing that Jesus was not going to be the expected strongman type ruler like, like Caesar, but instead was coming in humility. He was not coming for military victory over Gentile empires, but like Zechariah said, he's coming with salvation in his hands to speak peace to the nations. We know as the week progressed, the reality of what his mission was, the nature of by which he was going to acquire victory, became more and more clear. And many of those who were once celebrating became disheartened, disconcerted, and some possibly became infuriated. We have people, people who are oppressed, people who are forgotten by society, Filled with hope and crying out, Hosanna. Deliver us. Deliver us from these shackles of poverty. Deliver us from these debts that have made me and my children bond servants and slaves. Deliver us from the pain and the brutality of our life. Deliver us from the oppression of the Romans. And then they watched and saw as Jesus was arrested and was now in the hands of the very ones that they had hoped he was going to destroy. We see in the Gospel a stark contrast of Palm Sunday to Good Friday of acclamations of Hosanna that become cries of crucify. Now, we're wrong to assume that the people who were outside the gate crying out Hosanna were the same ones inside the gate proclaiming crucify. But I don't doubt that maybe some were. But this stark contrast is, I think, intended the way the Gospels are written to to hit us. The anger towards the one that was hoped for but apparently in their mind was not who he claimed to be. But others, we know that after Jesus' crucifixion, left Jerusalem disheartened, saying to each other, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Even the disciples, out of fear, denied to know him, ran away and hid in a house, trying to make sense of how they can move forward, having all of their hopes, the thing that they gave their entire life to, completely shattered and crushed. This is a reminder to us, think of the danger of worshiping the Messiah you want instead of the Messiah who is. A lot of times we usually turn to God. We, we, we go back to church because of a crisis or a felt need. One pastor, I, I remember him telling a story of a chaplain 
In the story about the chaplain, the chaplain got a call in the middle of the night to go to the hospital because someone needed to speak with him. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And, and he went to the hospital and he, when he got there, he, got, he saw the guy and he, had called, they, he wanted to speak to him because he had got a horrible prognosis. But when he arrived, the guy said, oh, oh, oh sorry, Reverend, I don't need to talk to you. They mixed up the paperwork. I'm actually okay. And that's the reality that we often find ourselves in, and it's not completely wrong. But the problem is, is that also churches often capitalize on this as a means to get big, to fill the coffers, to look and to see what the people think they need or they think they want, and then the craft of Jesus that fits those needs and those desires. Jesus will be whatever the Jesus that you want him to be. And that's the Jesus that will proclaim to you. That like Holy Week, so too when we do that, it ends up disastrous for our souls. Scripture tells us that when we approach our Savior, when we approach the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings, we approach him by faith. And that is a faith that trusts our creator and redeemer, knows our deepest needs better than we do. We need deliverance. But our deepest need is deliverance, first and foremost, from the bondage we have placed ourselves in. All of the reasons that we find ourselves crying out, Hosanna, Poverty, the war, the injustice, the hate, the abuse. Poverty, the racism, depression, sickness, and addiction. All of these horrible realities that we do need deliverance from that lead us to cry out Hosanna are actually symptoms that are caused by a deeper problem. The problem that all of humanity is enslaved to sin. That we have all rebelled against our God and his good order. And whenever you have a people who have all turned their back on their creator God and rebelled against him, then all of the systems, the governments, the the policies, the economics, all of our relationships, all of them are hindered and impacted because of that fallenness. And so we find us in a spiral of continually being onslaughted. Pressed in by oppression all around us. This exists because all of us in our fallenness been separated from the true source of life. Some ways like walking dead, lashing out against each other and the world around us because of our situation. I'll tell you guys, if at first we had a Messiah like the Messiah that the people wanted, if at first we had a Messiah coming in might to destroy all that opposes God and his good order. 
He has the power and might to do so. And I can tell you that a lot of the hell that we see around us that we must face would not be here anymore. But the problem is, is that if he came to do that at first, we would not be here either. Because we ourselves would have been destroyed. So whether or not we acknowledge it, we all need a Messiah with tears in his eyes riding a donkey toward a brutal instrument of torture and death. Taking upon himself the bondage we have placed ourselves in so that he might be victorious over the sin and death that has dominion over our world. We need a God full of grace who would humble himself to the point of death, taking on our violent rebellion to bring us peace. We need a Messiah that makes a parody of our obsession with the strong man who seeks power to destroy his opposition and impress his entourage with pithy gifts of wealth and prestige. We need a king that makes a satire of our fallen assumptions about power and greatness by way of willingly submitting himself to those who oppressed him showing his power by allowing himself to be destroyed by the arrogant hate and violence of man so that he might shower us with the priceless gifts of salvation, deliverance from sin and death, restoration to God, and an inheritance to God's eternal kingdom. My brothers and sisters, we need a Messiah King that is strong enough to endure humiliation, shame, and death in order to deliver us from our greatest threat, ourselves. And our greatest enemy, sin, and the judgment that comes with us. But I also want to say that just because he first came to deliver us from our deepest need does not mean that he is indifferent to our need for deliverance from all of the suffering and oppression and injustice that continually assaults us. For scripture tells us that the one who came into Jerusalem riding on an ass to be enthroned on a cross like a sheep led to the slaughter is now risen victorious and enthroned at the right hand of the Father and will one day return to another celebratory victory parade. But this time, not humble on a donkey, but glorious on a white horse, as King of kings and Lord of lords, the conquering Lion of Judah, to establish his kingdom forever, where there will no longer be sickness, injustice, corruption, addiction, violence, racism, hate, abuse, rape, loneliness and isolation, depression, where there will be no more tear and death will be swallowed up, where his deliverance will be full and complete. So today we cry out and sing Hosanna. Deliver us, remembering the deliverance he has brought while also looking in ahead to the, to the deliverance that is to come. And as we wait for the consummation of his perfect kingdom, we know that in his grace, by the working of, his Holy, of the Holy Spirit, he is actively delivering us from all forms of bondage, providing manifestations or foretastes now of the perfect and complete deliverance that is to come. So today... 
either with boisterous voices of praise or possibly weak voices of desperation, let us cry out with confidence, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna, king of kings and lord of lords, son of the most high God. Hosanna in the highest of heavens. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first.